Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. And today we've got a movie which might, might be excellent, or it might give us ants in our pants. Did you, did you enjoy that, Rory? Did you enjoy what I just said? Say yes or no. Uh, can I say so-so? <laughs> Is this a movie which um set in the desert? I think, and uh, made me think about Monster Hunter quite a bit. So we have to decide if this film is better than Monster Hunter. What is the name of the film we've got today? It is It Came from the Desert. And it's appropriate given the recent heat wave that's been ripping through the UK in that it looks like a desert outside uh, most of this summer. Yeah, we're putting a positive spin on global warming. <laughs> by, by saying there could be giant ants roaming yeah, around. there could be ants. I could imagine, I mean, we're almost at the end of our is it, prime minister leadership race. And I just want one of the, um, I was going to say competitors. <laughs> That's what they're called. Say, contenders. Contenders. They could say, well, it could be worse. There could be giant ants. <laughs> and they therefore would jinx it. And then there would be giant ants going up and down the Thames. Eating your sandwiches would be all absolutely awful. Well, spoilers for Jurassic World Dominion, <laughs> but the plot for that revolves primarily around giant locusts. Oh, gosh, yes. So, you know what? Yeah. I've not seen that film. I know all about the plot, though. This becomes a certain tipping point where the general buzz is so bad that I spoil myself just to see, well, well that bullshit might be worth seeing at the cinema. And, <laughs> um, but no, it hasn't compelled me to see uh jurassic world dominion i finally saw top gun maverick though this week which was great but the best thing about it was an old lady in the front row and like in the first five minutes it looks like tom cruise might die and she just kept going oh no as if he was going to die then <laughs> like don't let a near mission impossible film is all i'm trying to say <laughs> um but cool those are big hollywood movies everyone's heard of i had never heard of it came from the desert I don't even think I heard of the game. Well, I, I'd sort of, in our video game movie research, this one crossed my way when it was released back in 2017. So not too long ago. But this is very much in the uh, traditional bee movie sense, not bee as in the, the animal or insect, but um, bee in terms of budget. And I think the game as well, is very much harking back to the 50s B-movies of yore, and this is kind of continuing in, in that tradition. Because the original game came out uh, in 1989 for the Amiga, and then a year later for MS-DOS. And this was developed by a company called Cinemaware, who were primarily focused on games which evoked certain genres of cinema so they did titles like defenders of the crown which was sort of a swashbuckling adventure um they did wings which uh is like a kind of fighter pilot you know 
biplane kind of uh, action game. And there was this It Came From The Desert, which by its title sort of harkens to it came from outer space, it came from beneath the sea. But primarily, I suppose its source of inspiration would be the 1954 B-movie Them, in which giant ants are created by nuclear testing out in the desert and wreak all kinds of havoc. Have you seen them? Have you seen them? I, I haven't, but I, I hear it is, you know, it's one of those kind of 50s B-movies, which there were a lot produced at that time, but has still kind of hung around in the public conscience because it's actually kind of like the original Godzilla, I suppose, which came out the same year, meant to be pretty good. I know Leonard Nimoy is in it, I think. So that's on my watch list for actors out from Star Trek outside of Star Trek. Okay. Um, sometimes when I'm watching films for this podcast, I don't do any video game research beforehand. I just watch it and I say, this film needs to exist on its own feet. But like halfway through this film, I had to stop to have a bit of supper. And during my supper, <laughs> I decided to watch a bit of the video game. And I was sh- struck by how the game is totally, as you say, a 1950s B-movie. And this is very much modern day. So I do wonder if there are fans of the original game who, like, right away are kind of against this movie. Yes, but I also think that, um, not to give too much away of the film this early on, but this film is, to an extent, a sequel Mm. to the games. There are references to the original game which is set in 1951 in a town called Lisbeth, And they mention that specific town and in a way the sort of incidents and cover up of that in the film. Yeah, but um, I mean, watching the video of, I watched the long play of the game, but it was like a long play where the guy was, was really clicking through all the text. <laughs> so it basically was, he wasn't chewing his food, so I, I didn't really get... I got The only thing I got really was the music and had that like lovely kind of muffled 90s ominous soundtrack, which I really enjoyed, and, and that's not actually carried over to this film. Uh, <laughs> but it does have, as you said, much more connective tissue to the game than it might initially appear. Yes, I think in the game you play a character called Dr Gary Bradley, and in the film, they mentioned the Bradley Institute. So there's, you know, all this kind of Easter egg, yes, but also connective tissue where it's directly relating to the video game in that respect. We've done a few, we've done a few of those. We did like Resident Evil mm-hmm. series, mm-hmm. and um, but I'm just expecting now. I don't know the next the Mario movie, which we keep waiting for. It's going to be a, a legacy sequel to the '80s games. And Mario's just washed up. He's got half a dozen kids, which look like mushrooms. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. <laughs> We're trying to keep it tight this episode, just letting you know. We've got much time, so there might be less comedy asides, which might be to everyone's benefit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think just to sort of wrap up on the video game, it is kind of like a kind of text not a text adventure, but like a visual novel style adventure, lots of conversations with locals as you try to get to the bottom of the whole giant ant infestation, which is sweeping the town. And then occasionally there would be sort of top down 
uh, views with action sequences where you're trying to fend off giant ants. And at the start of this film, there is a sort of version of that. You have a bird's eye view of someone mm. being attacked by a giant ant, which I felt was very much in keeping with the look of the games. The game also has like some first person sections, doesn't it? Where mm. And again, there's a sequence in this film where they're controlling like a gun, a CCTV camera with a gun. And it looks very different from the game, but it's definitely got the same POV where mm. the camera is there, the gun is right beneath the camera, and it's shooting ants in that way. So, yeah, I did appreciate the the, the similar cinematography. Mm. Do we have to say giant ants every time? Should we just call them <laughs> giants? <laughs> just giant ants and just emphasize the ants at the, the end ants of giant. End up, there's, there's a one bit of this film, mild spoilers, they talk to each other with subtitles, and I just wrote bants because they're, <laughs> they're talking. Anyway, moving on. Thanks, Ants. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Notably as well, there was a version of the game released for the TurboGrafx-16, which plays quite differently and includes uh, FMV with characters that you interact. Um, you play instead a teen biker punk, which I think speaks mm. more to the main characters in this film. But also it features a sort of quite harrowing minigame where you have FMV actors lying down on the ground and they're being eaten by smaller ants. And it's kind of revealing there's bloody skeletons as their like real-life actor is kind of moving their head around streaming. And it's one of those things where it's far more disturbing than <laughs> probably they um, initially intended. It's that weird. It's because the graphics, I imagine, are so cartoony when it comes to like bloody F&V. It's quite a, you know... <laughs> What's the gear crank? What am I trying to say? Gear shift? Whiplash. Gear shift, whiplash. Or some sort of car-based Mirror analogy. signal manoeuvre. <laughs> oh, it's very mirror signal manoeuvre. Oh, crikey. The game is trying to evoke, as we said, this 1950s B-movie nostalgia. And, and it coming out at the end of the 80s, you have these sort of nostalgia loops where the people who grew up in certain eras then create entertainment or product which evokes back to their childhood. So in the 80s, you did have films which um, were either remakes or takes on the similar material of 50s B-movies. So, of course, you had The Fly, you had The Blob, you had The Thing. Invaders from Mars. Yeah. So you had all these, you know, in the ether. And in a way, it came from the desert. The game sort of is part of that same, I don't know, Thrust. ether. Yeah. And, and I think as well, because you still have at that time towards the end of the cold war and the nuclear threat. And it's interesting that in the credits for the movie, whether or not there was an actual involvement, but the, in the credits of the movie, Joe Dante is thanked amongst the sort of special thanks. And sort of, you think of matinee and Mant and how mm. that sort of harks back to that. Yeah. I saw that as well. And I noted of interest that to the director of this film, Marco, Michael Axstow? He's Finnish, so... He's Finnish. Well, you know, I looked through his um, his other films. They're all of a similar ilk. And he's also... I think his next film to be released is called The Creeps. And mm. Joe Dante is part of the cast. <laughs> As is Christopher Lambert, our friend. And on friend the of post, the podcast. He, on, the, on the poster, he's naturally holding a sword. There's silhouetted people... Of, 
fighting with swords like it's Highlander or something. So mm-hmm. he's obviously got the horn for Joe Dante. Who doesn't? As do we all. As do we all. Yes, the atomic bomb is terrible. But more terrible still are the effects of atomic mutation. Hello, I'm Lawrence Wolsey. And I want to warn you about something that could happen. Something that does happen in my newest motion picture. Observe the ant. A miniature marvel of social cooperation and prodigious strength. But if a man and an ant were exposed to radiation simultaneously, the result would be terrible indeed. For the result would be... Mant. This film, while it's it's in the tradition of that kind of monster movie update trajectory because of its origins based on the game, it's also coming at a time where we have this sort of post-Sharknado giant monster boom of low-budget mm. kind of B-movie stuff. I, I wouldn't say like Sharknado. Sharknado was kind of the... I guess the biggest name of that. I mean, there were things beforehand like spiders and shark attack three. (laughs) Can you guess? But then like, since then you've had like this, this big monster boom with things like lava lantula, big ass spider. um, And my favorite snake outer Compton, um, (laughs) which I have not seen uh, beyond the trailer. Maybe we did a Patreon account that could be a little sub threads like <laughs> i'm um, sure there's already a, a a monster movie podcast doing that already. i will say actually i'm a bit offended that you lumped this film in with those because i'm not i feel the the sort of asylum films led sort of quick buck monster movies are of a different t- type of film to this one i'm not saying if this is better or worse but i feel this i don't know if this feels like a cash in for me i don't i mean who's going around wanting to make a film based on it came from the desert i don't know but i wouldn't say i I will say i think this film does make an attempt to honor b movies more than let's just get trashy made up i don't know vampire sharks of the forest and (laughs) you know they drink all the maple syrup and they make everyone into maple syrup cocoons and then people get chest bursters and mooses meese moose they come out the chest and come on Rory help me out here (laughs) (laughs) no I'm loving this initial pitch now yeah so I think you're you're sort of right but I guess there is a sliding scale because you do have your bigger budget versions of the same thing where you do have your eight-legged freaks Mm. your piranha 3d obviously the original was a joe dante film you have the meg so you do have like all the budgets sort of catered for in in this genre but it's just fascinating that there is this i guess because digital film technology and vfx are now easier to do on your home computer so that's why there's this flurry of just mega snake versus mega octopus or, yeah. you know. It used to be your holiday videos just had a good star wipe, but now you're putting CGI ants running through the background of your <laughs> holiday in Mallorca. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> ants everywhere attacking grandma. 
yeah, just you know, it's as bog standard as a as a Snapchat filter now. <laughs> uh, shall we um, talk about the film proper then? Yeah, let's do that. Should we do like a, a, a little synopsis to kick off? Yes. We were looking for a video box for this, and it's quite hard to get hold of, but this is this is all we have. Uh, a pulpy action monster movie inspired by Cinemaware's cult 1980s video game, It Came for the Desert. A nostalgic tribute to creature features, It Came from the Desert features rival motocross heroes and heroines, Kegger parties in the desert, secret underground military bases, romantic insecurities, and of course, giant ants. <laughs> it's true. That's like my kind of checklist for any movie. It's, it does have everything, doesn't it? Finally, I got a bingo. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of dirt bikes in this, I suppose. <laughs> What are you doing? The desert's that way. I know. This is Lisa Street. You gotta put on your big boy pants one day and let her know how you feel because somebody else is bound to. Thanks. <laughs> Let's party. Your winner has arrived at the party began! Beers, bikes, women. Today's gonna be unforgettable. And I'm We're trapped by this giant ant. Trapped by a what? A giant freaking ant! The subjects require ethanol. Ethanol? <laughs> ants are incredibly resilient. All we did was splice them with alien DNA and grow them to supersize. Oh, that's all? That's about to get way messy. What does that even mean? Swatted to death. Yeah. Gotta get out of here. <laughs> it really embodies what these movies should be about. The stunt work and ridiculous plot really gelled in just the perfect movie. Eat this. I come in peace. Dude, you're an ad. I'll tell you my thoughts on this film. Okay, so... Mm, well, I love doing this podcast, right? Because I would not watch this film if I didn't have to. <laughs> it sounds like I'm damning with faint praise. But, you know, it's not exactly a good film, but I I felt there was a lot of charm. I did feel it was sincere in its, as the video box says, it's, it's a nostalgic tribute to those creature features. And we, we suffer so much bad CGI. The CGI is not great in this, but I still felt it had a certain charm. And I think it just about got away with it. You know, there's bits when I think trucks also get thrown about by giant ants and they look like cgi versions of model cars so not in the least bit realistic but that's just there was something quite nice <laughs> about it <laughs> but i will say um i think literally all the characters range from fair to awful <laughs> and 
you know, it's half the dialogue just, you know, it's half the dialogue is either catchphrases ripped off from other films or they just aren't what normal people talk like at all. And I kept having to remind myself this film was not made in 2003. This feels mm. like, this feels like a, like, here's the thing. It feels like an Uwebol film, but not, it doesn't go the Uwebol distance. And I'm not saying films have to have titties or have to have lots of gore, but you know, you have a House of the Dead style kegger in the middle of the desert. And so, it, but it, it, it seemed just very sanitary. And so it didn't seem, it didn't seem to have the grit, maybe. But I mean, I think on the whole, it went, it was, it went a bit of a clip to, to a point, I think, actually. It, but I was, I was, I was pretty interested the whole way through. But, um, I wouldn't recommend it unless you're doing a video game movie podcast. <laughs> but, but what did you think? I, I agree with you when you say, well, I agree with you generally uh, with your comments, but I think it's, it's interesting. You say it does feel like this was a film from 2003. I think script wise, certainly I think there's more polish to the visual effects than you know, maybe you would have got at that time, but it certainly feels like a script that's been in the drawer and has <laughs> Found not... <in> an anthill. <laughs> and has not really been updated apart from maybe just making some, at the time, more accurate references to the makeup of the current Avengers lineup. Um, oh but my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I sort of feel like I was willing this film to succeed more when i first saw the trailer and when i suggested we do this i was kind of like fingers crossed this could be a werewolves within you know this could Mm. be like a kind of hidden gem which passed everyone by because the the tone of the trailer it looks like sort of fun it looks sort of a bit kind of chaotic and riotous and you know it's it's definitely a, a, a i'd say a horror comedy maybe more comedy than horror but the comedy isn't particularly great i just sort of was really hoping it for be to be more fun than it is and i think it makes the most of its it's you know presumably quite slim budget i think the ants do look pretty cool um there's a few moments with the sort of you know they don't look like they're actually there etc but it's easier i suppose to animate like a bug than you know a more kind of fleshy organism you know, it's 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 a fair stab at doing Starship Troopers style. Mm. I mean, that's, why, that's why Starship Troopers holds up still because all the special effects are, uh, are like things of hard carapaces. I did write here Starship Troopers, which I'm quite pleased with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I I think the kind of my my issues with it is yeah the the characters are are generally not likable the dialogue is pretty ropey they're either referencing a better movie and you know it's fine people do that all the time this ironic commentary oh it's just like this it's just like that but also i kind of if this film's trying to evoke the 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 nostalgia that it has i just kind of wish these films would just get on with the spirit of it rather than just making a reference and i think the the other thing is just I was hoping for a bit more chaos 
And when you do have the giant ant attack at the big kegger party, what this film is sort of leading up to, it's over so quickly. And I was just, you know, when I want that, I want like an extended sequence of people being killed by ants Mm. or, you know, being ravaged and stuff, you know, like the, you know, it's horrifying in Piranha 3D when the piranhas finally hit the water park. (laughs) And just like, it's like, I don't, it doesn't need to be like completely bloody and gross in that in that sort of extent if it doesn't want to be but it's just every time and going back to Joe Dante when those moments in these films happen I just have like the Gremlins 2 theme playing like the Gremlin rag where it's like Gremlins I really got that vibe yeah exactly the the little subtitle exchange it happens once and then never happens again and you do have the the ants kind of like giggling and making these like chittering, because we like the word chittering, um, <laughs> noises. And I just sort of wanted more of that energy. They give the ants personality and then just sort of ignore it. And and I get it, just it for budget reasons. It. Yeah, I just, I just sort of wish that, you know, there were more people being chased around by a giant ant in the giant ant movie. <laughs> Yeah, no, true, because like, when I was saying what I thought about the film, I actually caught myself because I was about to say uh, it moves at a fair clip and it's got a good pace to it. But actually, again, this is probably my own fault because I had to watch the film in two parts, but I stopped the film just before the ant attack. But like that first half I was watching it for, I was like, I was really getting into the build-up and the tension because, um, I mean, we're not, we're not in full spoilers yet, but... It was all kind of leading up to this big attack, just like in things like Piranha and stuff like that. But I feel that the big attack happened happened like too early and then it was over. And mm. then there was like an hour of the film left. And like the the rest of the film, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's terrible, but I guess the fun of these it's the reason why I was going to say Jurassic World. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that big attack happens at the end, or I don't, yeah. I mean, they just basically blow their wad really quickly, and then there's just lots of motorcycle stuff, I suppose. If you like motorcycles, mm. this is the film for you. Yeah. And I will say, actually, that again, a sort of budgetary thing, I think the film does look really impressive. I think it uses the locations, I think it was filmed in Spain really well i mean you know it's maybe not what you sign up for but i thought the landscapes looked gorgeous i thought the motorcycle stuff when it was happening was very impressive and lots of you know slow-mo bikes being followed probably by drone cameras creating quite nice motocross motorcycle through the desert imagery it was, um, i mean there was an early scene i wrote here there's a random slow-mo dirt bike montage then i put in brackets unless they get attacked by ants they don't get attacked by ants <laughs> like, <laughs> there was it was just a dirt bike montage to fill some time i suppose yeah but i i think it i think it helps to sell the scale where the film maybe doesn't have that and i think when they find the sort of the mine shaft and the facility where the ants are and, and things like that's like an impressive structure. And I think it does do some like clever tricks to make it seem bigger than it probably is or was. But I think the issue is that the tricks aren't maybe enough to forgive just the fact that it's like two 
guys walking around the desert or you know for a long period of time are like walking through corridors you know trying to find out what the deal is with this underground base and stuff and it's it's like if you're not really gelling with the the characters doing that um you know it's it's crumbs just crumbs <laughs> so and I... favorite food <laughs> and <Ants. laughs> yes imagine if it had just been if he just hoovered up after that kegger, the ants wouldn't have even shown up. <laughs> um, so, I mean, with everything you said, I said I probably wouldn't recommend it unless you kind of had to watch it, which seems really unfair. Would you like, would you recommend putting this on in, like, if you're having a kegger and I thought, I know what I'll put on. And you find a DVD. Uh, it's, it's hard. I, I think... It, it it's more of maybe more of a background film. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's less a sit down and guys, everyone watch this. I think it's more put it on the background and you can look up every time there's like an ant doing something, um, and then you can just like go back to uh, you know it's a second screen film. Maybe you can have it on in the background and then anytime some ant action appears, um, you can put your phone down briefly. <laughs> Oh, bless. well, we'll talk about this a bit more in spoilery detail, um, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, why else would you create freaky giant ants? It was for defense. Did you know that a housefly running into a spider's web is the equivalent of an F-16 flying into one of relative size at Mach 1? Standard issue Kevlar is feeble compared to that. We mixed alien ant DNA with tarantula's DNA with the intention of saving lives. Wait a minute, how long has this been going on? Since the 1950s, when the meteorite crashed into the town of Lizard Breath. Holy shit, there's an actual town called Lizard Breath? You need to get to the Bradley site. You're young, you can make it in time. If we can get the weapons, maybe we can put an end to this batch. But batch 10, oh, batch 10 will be perfect. 10? Haven't you learned anything from what happened today? You're a real piece of work, you know that? Mistakes happen when new technologies are invented. But the human price paid is justified by the lives saved. Tell that to all our friends about to become baby ant food. Maybe we should talk about these characters because they seem to be our bugbear, no pun intended. Um, I think it was two main characters, Brian and Lucas, mm. and they—they're they, not brothers; they're just good friends, I suppose. Yeah. So, like, Brian is the is the nerd, and mm-hmm. he is basically the mechanic for Lucas, who's the cool dude who is entering a motocross bike race, kind of like the rather strangely named race wars that uh, they usually <laughs> have in each of the Fast and the Furious movies where, oh my God, or, or more like talk, I suppose, because that's more uh, motorbikes. But it's just one of those things. Right, everyone T-O-R-Q-U-E, goes out to... T-O-R-Q-U-E, not T-A-L-K. Yes. Talk. <laughs> talk. Talk, talk. Um, so, yeah, where everyone goes out to the desert and there's usually some scantily clad women dancing people drinking and then they have a race through the desert and it seems like 
both the coolest and most boring thing to do. <laughs> yeah, the party like... seems really awkward. And I mean, here's the thing. Again, I don't want to sound like a massive sexist and say like there has to be ladies with, with the boobs out or anything. But there is, a, there is this one weird bit when... I mean, I was writing a note and then I looked up and there was just an extreme close-up on a very pert bum. And for just a moment, I thought it was Lucas's bum. And I thought, wow, he's got <laughs> quite an amazing, albeit feminine, behind. Uh, think, then, like maybe you think he'd have some motorbike saddle bum or something. I didn't like something like that. Um, but they sort of pan up and there's this lady sort of dancing in the middle of this crowd, and then she sort of undresses into basically a swimsuit. And then, and then acid gets squirted in her face, and she dies. <laughs> um, but I, it just seemed—it just seemed like a college party where they expect the cops to show up for any minute. But we're in the desert. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I did write here. Imagine being an extra in this low-budget party, and like I think at the end of the film, they're always like handing around a beer, which has been sat in the sun for like a whole day, <laughs> and they're treating it like this is just the most amazing treat. Um, yeah well so like Lucas and, and Brian and and with this party like the whole running gag through the film which never really works is like Lucas is constantly drinking beer like they've shown up to this motocross race and it's like are you actually doing a race because you seem to be just like pounding the beers back <laughs> and like when is the race actually going to happen because you're already you know like four or five beers down, he must love her incredible metabolism. And he's always almost offering a beer to Brian and it never quite pan works out that Brian gets the beer that Lucas keeps on promising that he'll get him. Ha ha ha. But Lucas, you know, he's he's meant to be your sort of like cool douche dude. I mean, he looks like Jerry O'Connell, so he's halfway there. <laughs> Star like, of Piranha 3D. Yeah, um, Jerry O'Connell looking motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, what I would, what I appreciate about the Lucas character is that he is supportive of Brian. Mm. He is not trying to be, yeah, he's he's trying to be a wingman because he's sweet on this girl called Lisa who turns out to be like into the Eradicator movies, which is Brian's sort of favorite i guess 80s action movie that he's watching in the intro to and this, this film. confusing because this does seem to be like a kegger slash bike race slash celebrity appearance from the eradicator <laughs> he's meant to be coming everyone's excited right yeah okay um so <laughs> i i sort of appreciated that it wasn't he isn't just like the jock and he's like you know ignoring the guy who's fixing up his bike for him and all this kind of stuff so I appreciated that their relationship, you know, while they butt heads occasionally because Lucas has been a dumbass, it's 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 not antagonistic. But it also means that we're sort of left with Brian just being incredibly, like, insecure. And, you know, there's some touching stuff about him, like, you know, feeling like the support system, not really having what it takes to ask this girl out that he wants to but it only goes so far I it think. does seem very lifted out of 80s sex comedies as well because you know he he's just one sort of black framed glasses like step away from revenge of the nerds or whatever he seems mm. i just 
I don't know how old he's supposed to be because I think sometimes, you know, sometimes characters are written younger than the actors playing them, and then the actor is either playing young or he just seems like a twenty-something-year-old acting. I don't know. I don't know. It just it struck me as a bit weird. I think that's accurate to eighties films in general. Yes. That the supposed eighteen-year-olds are all played by people in their thirties. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't quite. I thought it was interesting how I think when we were talking about pixels in the last episode, where I said that perhaps pixels is like the last, it's the it's heralding the last type of film where the protagonist can be like a kind of a loser, but have have all the skills needed to be the hero, and that kind of happens in this film too. <laughs> but but pixels was like a more of a big deal than this film, so I'm not saying it never happens. Yeah, um, sure. I mean. Yeah, you are right. They were, they were kind of, they weren't super duper toxic. There's this other biker competitor called Tim, who starts saying some nasty things, or tries to pull one over on. I don't know how to talk to women actually. What do you do when you approach a woman and try and say something? <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but t- Tim is like the rival, effectively, and he goes up, says something to Lisa, and then Lisa gives him a very satisfying kick in the nards. And then his voice goes super squeaky, like a cartoon. Yeah, that was. If I've asked, that's like a UFO thing. It's a real choice, isn't it? Like literally deploying the helium voice. Hmm. So it's uh, it's kind of like the ant subtitles. It's one of those things where it's this is a gag which breaks the sort of fabric of the film, but then nothing else in the film is like that. Yeah, so you're okay. kind of just like left with this sort of hanging. What was that? <laughs> but I think just like the ants doing subtitles talking. They, one ant says to another, "Stop laughing." The other ant says, "My head hurts because it's been headbutting a door." Yeah, you know, it feels like the sort of thing which is funny at the time, but yeah, it sort of sticks out when most of the film is set in a sort of a reality. I say that there's like. I don't know. It's tricky. It's a tricky balance. And I think it stumbles a lot. Um, Like, you know, the character of Brian, for example. So I think Lucas hugs Brian and Brian says, you're the one hugging me, Gaylord. And I was just like, yes, I just like was Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's the name I've not heard in a long time. (laughs) A long time. It's like, yeah, he says that anymore. I mean, you know, it's always like a bit, you know, not, it's not right. It's a, it's a racial, it's racial slur. It's a sexual slur. But yeah, I thought that'd be the sort of thing which Lucas says, who's like the the dumb biking one. But like at the, at this midpoint of the film, Brian, sorry, Lucas won't stop talking about other movies that like we mentioned. Um, there's a bit after like, the big attack, they decide to go into the underground base. They decide to go into this like tunnel. Brian says to Lucas, "Imagine if Scarlett Johansson was in there." Lucas, but she's black freaking widow, dude. She can take care of herself. Brian, okay, what if you're the freaking Hulk? We go in then, Avengers style. Like, why? <laughs> what? Why is that there? <laughs> and and she starred in Eight Legged Freaks as well. She so. did. And then just minutes later, Lucas starts referencing, like, they're going down to this tunnel. We mentioned Lord of the Rings and then Deep Throats. And then Doctor Strangelove and Doc Brown. It just feels like the writer, also director, and he also did the music, I think, uh, 
was just really obsessed with maybe he learns that he could actually use these films in in a, in, par- in a parody sense so it's it was free license or free use whatever they call it trippy we just went from jurassic park to aliens dude my life has to be like a movie why couldn't it be deep throat lame joke how can endless pussy be lame bro Looks like they're keeping them alive to feed the babies when they hatch. Why are they glowing? There! You're gonna be okay, Lisa. Please, wake up. Yeah, again, you can do the stuff and then just not call it out. Like when they have, when they find the tunnel into the base, um, which we see at the very start of the film, because we see soldiers like being chased by a giant ant, and then um, there's a couple of um, Mexican copper hunters or metal hunters who also. Oh yeah, that was like a in. five minute sequence, which doesn't have <laughs> any relevance to the rest of the plot. Nope, um, but they find the same tunnel, and while they're exploring, that's when we see the first giant ant, which attacks them in a canteen. And then they say that was straight up Jurassic Park shit. And it's just mm. like, yeah, I guess it was. And but you don't also, have to keep on saying it. <laughs> like the eradicator's catchphrase, which is then repeated by Brian at the beginning and end of the film, is give me some sugar, baby. It was originally used in Army of Darkness and then gets used by Duke Nukem. And then it ends up here. So I just don't know who they're ripping off. Um, <laughs> there is a line, though, like I'm a big fan I think we're both fans of the BBC TV show Bottom. At one point of the film, somebody asks a question to Lucas, and Lucas says, um, does the Pope shit in the woods? <laughs> and I was like, that's from Bottom Live. But then I actually Googled this and found Cora, and that phrase actually goes way back to, like, 1970. Which Pope? <laughs> Which Pope? Um, yeah, apparently... The thing is, it, this is something else I read on the internet, so it might be bollocks, but it just says, the earliest reference I know for the question, does the Pope shit in the woods, is the bear Catholic, is in fact Freddy's Cat, a comic book series by Gilbert Shelton, circa 1970. The proper name of the comic is the fabulous Harry Freak Brothers, but I think it's mostly known for the heroic cat. So I learned something about the Pope shitting in the woods today. <laughs> I'm sure of a big surprise. Um, we still don't know the answer to that question. Does he? I don't know. Does he? But um Finally, an audience with the Pope on ITV. <laughs> I mean, but his thing, I don't know if these are homages. I mean they must I mean they they do feel like they are taken from pop culture because they're a fan, but it just seems a bit out of place here. I think the problem is that that usually like a cheapy B-movie, the dialogue is very underwritten and cliched. I think the problem with this film is that here it's overly written mm. and then just not funny. I think it's like really trying to give these characters personality, running gags. None of it is particularly good. And I'd rather they just keep on saying stuff like, I got a bad feeling about this or... 
sort of lazy stuff, even if well, it is <laughs> an homage to films that have come before, then maybe just like all the attempts at humor here. I think the only funny stuff is the personality of the ants. They're the more entertaining entities in the film, because even when they meet the kind of like weird guy doing the Finnish vodka at the party, it's just like, I think those are meant to be gags, but the delivery yeah. is so like off. And the, he, the, it's the just last, the last thing to happen confusing. in the big attack is like, there's a, so there's a guy walking around with a backpack full of homemade vodka, I think. And it's basically petrol which becomes a plot point later. But the, the scene, the big attack scene ends with him stumbling around and he sees a giant ant and says something like, hey, that's a big squirrel. And then he says, oh, dude, you're not a squirrel. You're an ant. And then he gets taken by the ant. I'm like, is is that how we're ending the scene then? <laughs> I mean, there's some, there is some, I will say, some good lines, some stuff I liked. There's, um, I liked it when the ants... We're attacking our heroes um, for the first time. And Lucas is saying, this is too stressful. This is too stressful. And I quite, that seemed like an, a choice, I suppose. It was just an odd thing to say. But there's also some bonkers stuff done by Dr. Renard, who, mm. you know, as we always, we always discover it. I think we found it in, what was it? Uh, Choose or Die, a confessional by a man in a lab coat. Um, and like how they decided to mix the DNA, alien DNA, with fire ants and spiders. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I name checked Jurassic World earlier. It's just that sort of thing. Like, let's just just put all these all this DNA together and see what happens. <laughs> and uh, whoops, didn't go to plan. <laughs> I think the kind of strongest stuff is when it leans into the B movie sci-fi. And I don't know how much of that is directly drawn from the games. I know the the opening monologue is lifted from the game yes. um, because you hear that along with clips from the game in the end credits, they do have footage from, I think, the Amiga version playing as the, as the credits roll along with the, the end or is it, which is from the game too. The desert, unchanged for millions of years, yet witness to a biblical prophecy come true that one day the meek shall inherit the earth. We've seen it before, but it has this kind of 50s anim black and white animation kind of doing a parody of Duck and Cover, but instead run and evade should a giant ant um, try and attack you. And with this confession, yes, explaining the whole meteorite that landed in 1951 from the original game. And yeah, just combining alien DNA with, with spiders and therefore revealing that the ants require ethanol um, in order to fertilize their eggs, um, which leads them to attacking the Kega party in a sort of anti-grabbers 
style? Did you see the film Grabbers? I, I know what Grabbers is about. It's where people yeah. can stop being... They don't get grabbed if they're drunk. I've not seen that. I've just heard of it. But um, It's yeah. pretty good. Although I say the film... That, that that sequence is like the tipping point to where the film became slightly less interesting. I did like the penny dropping when they discovered, like, oh, hang on, we've got all this booze in the desert. The ants are going to be attracted to all this booze. That's a good moment. That's a good oh shit moment. Yeah. And, you know, you get, again, the ants having personality where they're discovered just down in a keg. Yeah. Like, like, it's, a, a like it's a beer can and throwing it at a, a screaming victim. <laughs> Yeah, but I think, just going back to that attack, we see the swimsuit lady get a slightly melted face. And I think some there's like a love shack, which says do not disturb. And, you know, if this was an 80s movie, you know the top of that thing would be torn off and there'd be two, there'd be two people making out. Um, but here, just a lady runs inside it, eventually gets pulled out of the window. I, I feel like they could have had some really nice kills I sound like a complete psychopath. I am sorry, but <laughs> well, it, but yeah, I, part of me was disappointed when most of the party goers wound up in an ant colony alive. Um, yes, covered, in, ready like, to be feasted film. on. Yeah, ready to be feasted on by the baby ants that are soon to hatch. I mean, again, it's a typical thing, and again, they reference aliens in in that scenario. But sort of, it just it it's one of those things where it just slightly undercuts the the chaos of everyone being attacked by giant ants and they should be four murders. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the f- the first time I realised that it wasn't going to be quite as gory or horrific as I thought, there was a moment when um, Brian and Lisa are having a, a sort of a talk. And again, Brian is like trying to pour his heart out, but at a really inappropriate time because there's a big ant attack happening. And Lisa literally says, Brian, do you have to really do this right now? And then Brian turns to look at like the view. And when he turns around, Lisa's being pulled away by a giant ant. <laughs> and I thought, why isn't Lisa dying right now, right away? And then we learned they're all being taken away to be cocooned, I suppose. I mean, that would have been very bold if they hadn't introduced giant ants up until that point. If that just happened in any movie. <laughs> I love a film which just crazily switches genres. I want to, I have this game I like to play on myself called 28 Minutes Later. Um, It's like the film 28 Days Later where zombies appear, but I basically pick any film and then go to the 28th minute and I say, this is when zombies attack. And so like, and then I have to sort of decide what the characters do. Like I'm thinking off the top of my head, I've done like American Psycho where he, uh, he's talking about Huey Lewis and he's got his axe. I thought, okay, he'd be pretty good against the zombies then. He's got his, <laughs> he's got his axe. And then like thinking when Harry met Sally, uh, Harry is talking to his, oh God, is it his brother, his cousin or his mate? Um, in, I play watching a, a baseball game and I thought, okay, there's suddenly zombies in the crowd at the baseball game and the virus is spreading and Harry has to run away. He's like, ah! When Harry ate Sally. When Harry ate Sally. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but not not that's not what we're talking about today. Um, do we have anything else really to say about this? After Lisa gets taken to the colony, indeed they all do. It's sort of pretty rote from that point. They do have to go get weapons from a, a secret facility that will be uh, anti-ant um, guns. 
uh, and a plasma bolt cutter, which sounded mm. very video gamey in order to free the people from their cling film. But that's like a comedy through line again. There's it's a high tech gun gun which responds to vocal commands, but why would you need to tell a gun to fire? It's just sort of it's obviously a comedy bit because the 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 button on this I think is that. Lisa tells it off and then it responds to her command or something along those lines. And, and, but it's just, it just a lot of time is spent on that stuff and it wasn't particularly yeah. great. Just, yeah, it kind of goes nowhere. It's sort of just like how the, the film uh, sort of peters out a bit because once they've sort of rescued the people from the ant colony, like one baby ant jumps off and grabs Lucas by the face and he squishes it, but with enough time to sort of bite him. And I was like, ooh, maybe he's infected. And then like he'll explode and like an ant will come out. And just like, I guess, no, that, that doesn't happen. And then they have this huge giant ant. Well, they first they drive past some sentry guns, um, which wipes out the bulk of the surviving ants. And then this big giant ant is introduced, the queen ant, and it's got little wings and in order to get away from it, they jump over this chasm and rather than the giant ant like flying with its little wings and maybe they're too little for it to fly, it just kind of stands there and shoots like a web. I and... thought the wings were actually damaged. I took a look. But, okay. but really, no, to, to your point though, why not have a flying queen ant at the end? That would be an escalation. It's just a bigger version of the a large, you know, they've just escaped a large group of ants crawling on the floor. Why not have a flying ant so they can't escape it so easily? But uh, yeah, but as you say, it ends up just webbing him from the side of the side of the chasm, and they shoot it some more. So it is a bit anticlimactic, and it just falls into the chasm, and then you know, it explodes with the pickup truck. And then, like, everyone returns to the kegger with blood everywhere. And though we've complained that not enough people have died, several people have died, but they go back to the kegger like, well, let's just pick up where we left off. And then, like, the eradicator arrives to say, hey, guys, it's me. I got to the party. Someone told me it was a kegger. And um, then they do for traditional, oh, wait a minute, it's not quite over yet because some more ants appear. Um, I will I will say though, when the eradicator did arrive, I was slightly in awe of him. <laughs> <laughs> it's that bike like, worry. But also I thought I thought actually, yeah, he seems like a cool dude. Like the the way he was talking, the way he presented himself, I was like, yeah, now I can see why you know, I, I'd enter a motorbike race so I could meet the eradicator one day. But you know, I feel I think it's one of those things where in any other film with like a bit more of a budget, they probably would have got like an actual big 80s star to be like the joke cameo at the end. Like it would be Jean-Claude Van Damme or Sylvester Stallone or, or just somebody who just shows up for a day. You know what I mean? And yeah, it would, you would buy into their obsession about this character. You know, it would be, I can't remember if Charles Bronson's still alive, but something like that, you know what I mean? But he's Like just, David Hasselhoff and Piranha 3 Double D. Pretty much. And so, if you know, yes, he was pretty damn nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like I'm like a little bit, a little bit shy. It's nice. Um, yeah, but it's the motorcycle, Rory, I'm telling you. Okay, okay. 
But I'm not like that with just every muscle man who rides into the desert with a motorcycle. No. Well, you don't know. How how many times have you been in a desert with people with motorcycles? Um, Clearly not enough. Not enough. So, like I said, this isn't a brilliant film, but it's it's not... Oh God, I feel I feel like I'm so sitting on the fence. I don't know. I I don't regret seeing it. That's as, as best as I can say. It's it, and like I said, I like doing this podcast because I I mean I've I got I have a Shudder subscription. You know, I like horror films. I got a Shudder subscription. I'll say five percent of the films in Shudder are like watchable. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else is pretty shitty. Um, but like just a, just enough good content comes out every month. I feel like I've got a couple of good rentals. But so this is what I'm saying. I I don't watch all those shitty films, so maybe I'm missing some hidden diamonds in the rough. And this feels like it would comfortably be on Shudder, and it's just it's not quite gory enough to be a a monster movie. It's not quite funny enough to be a goofball kind of horror comedy. Um, I do appreciate that it has looked at the source material, and though it's not translated like the setting. Or the tone um i appreciate that it's it's done what it could with its limited budget and does things like what we mentioned earlier like with the cinematography and i think it's just cinematography and like you know callbacks to the original game so it's, it's pretty all right but you know there are other monster movies out there that you could probably get more of what you're looking for out of i think it's sincerity even through the Hattie references and unlikable characters. I think it, it does. It's it. It wants you to have a good time. I think it's trying to tell a story, and think why my heckles went up a little bit when you compared it to like Sharknado and things. I think those sort of films are trying to just get to moments and trying to like oh my oh my god I can't believe I just saw that sort of moment. And I think at least this film is is trying to have a story. It seems like the the bare minimum requirement for a film, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to lump it in with those in terms of quality necessarily, but just how this is in, this is, you know, you would find this on the same shelf in the yes. DVD shop if DVD shop still existed. Yeah, I wouldn't be like, this doesn't go here. This goes to... <laughs> uh, Classics. Art House. Art House. <laughs> um, Ant 24 Productions. Anyway, <clears throat> well. I'll just say that I wouldn't I wouldn't go so far as recommend it, but I wouldn't go so far as to dissuade anyone from watching it. I think there is... Yeah, a, fancy watching like it. I, like I said, there's... I, I was quite taken aback by some of the cinematography... I think some of the visual effects work is is pretty good, and the way it looks. And yeah, I, like slow mo motorbike races through the desert. It's it's brief, but it looks quite pretty when it happens. I'm thinking so, your yeah. your midlife crisis is going to be totally about <laughs> motorbikes, isn't it? Because... I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself a, a motocross through the desert experience for my fortieth birthday, and yeah. you're coming, so you better yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. You're the best racer on the circuit, Rory, and I'll never challenge your dominance again. Which is a line from the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, we didn't mention it earlier. 
Uh, cool. All right. Well, onwards and upwards. Um, what could people do? people do with their lives what can people do with their lives well that's it came from the desert done and dusted in the meantime how can people keep in touch with games on film you can visit our website gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast where you can find links to all the episodes as well as ways you can support the show please follow us on social media where we post news and share content all about upcoming video game movies and TV shows. Content. We're on content. Very good. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Games on Film Pod. So please do follow us there. You can contact us, Games on Film Pod at gmail.com with all your gamey, filmy questions and queries. And please do like, rate, review, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Acast, Spotify. Apple Podcasts, so please do find us there. I am on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for this episode was composed by David Lightfoot. And in a break from tradition, we actually know what we're doing for our next episode. Uh, I think in honour of David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future coming out of the UK, we'll be tackling uh, the Canadian author's earlier film about games called Existence. Not exist ants, exist ants, <laughs> which I've not seen. Stens. It's the most nineties no title I think I've ever seen. It's like so many people's usernames looked like that, but uh, haven't seen that for a while. So looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. So um, just just a reminder to always uh, pick up all the crumbs from your picnics and wipe, <laughs> wipe those surfaces. That's how you get ants, giant or otherwise. Uh, I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Is it Rory the Eradicator Steel? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Uh, take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.